This should be a matter of concern to us all. A country uh, is as strong, really, as its citizens. And I think that mental and physical health, mental and physical vigor, go hand in hand. Welcome to Profiles of Liberty podcast. This is our fourth episode, and our guest today is Doug Orchard. He is a documentary film producer and director, and he is working on what's known as the JFK Challenge. And we're going to leave him to discuss that, but it's a very incredible opportunity for our nation and for the future of our young people. Uh, on the call today, we have myself, uh, Chris Fox, founder of Veterans for Liberty, Chase Millsap here next to me, former Green Beret and co-founder. And we have Dustin. He's a current military instructor, and he's focused on the physical training of our special operator candidates. And then we have Doug Orchard. So welcome to the program, Doug. And uh, go ahead and let's start talking about the JFK Challenge. Great. Well, thank you very much for having me today. The JFK Challenge documentary film project looks at the why behind physical education. And specifically, we looked at where we were 50 years ago with the physical education program in the United States. And actually, it was the rest of the world followed it. There was a school located in Carmichael, California, that captured the attention of John F. Kennedy while he was president. He was visiting in Sacramento and while there had the opportunity to meet up with a high school coach named Stan Laprade. And Stan had been at the school for about five years, had developed, basically recreated the program he was trained on on his first job, which came from Redwood City. And that went straight back to, to 1920, where that started. Um, and that was based on the more classical physical education model, which had all but stopped nationwide at that time. And so Stan LaProde had created this system. John F. Kennedy knew he had a, a strong need and was looking for something to kind of unify on how we're going to get everybody fit, and that was the start. And he promoted it, uh, and, and not just promoted it from giving a speech or two, but he wrote articles in um, Look Magazine, uh, Sports Illustrated, on the topic, which it was kind of interesting to see a president of the United States doing that, and asked, asked the country to follow it. Can you explain why PE had stopped in general before that period right. of time? Um, this, this really kind of goes back to uh, lumped in with all of education changed in our history during what's called the progressive era, you know, somewhere between about 1915, if you were to come up with a date, America was really made a very calculated decision to get away from the classics. The idea of classics, you know, the stuff that rate that we learned as human beings through trial and error that's recorded for the last several thousand years, they didn't have the scientific method. And so it was the thought, and this comes from Dr. Robert Hutchings, who was president of the uh, University of Chicago, and he wrote about it um, in 1954. But the idea was, let's stop teaching classics and let's start doing new things based on what we're learning from science, because we have this new way of learning that's superior from how things were learned in the past. Therefore, we could discount anything in the past as naive. And so physical education was really thrown out maybe with a bathwater when they threw out all classical education. You went to a more of a manufacturing education model, and there were other factors involved, but PE looked very, very different. Prior to that time, physical education had really three components to it. One-third of it was restorative, meaning how you restore your restore your posture, how you keep yourself in line so you don't have injury, so that you're you're straight, and that's gone. That that knowledge and how they used to do that, we have footage. Um, I show people. Uh, we can't find anybody to even explain what they were trying to do. Uh, certainly, how to do it and, and why. And um, so they knew a lot that that we lost, unfortunately. And so fast forward to somewhere in the early 50s you had the first epidemic of back pain in the history of the world that we've been able to identify. And there was a very well-known spine doctor in New York named Hans Krauss, and he, he was studying this thing and noticed it from basically from 41 forward. And he came up with a series of exercises, and he was JFK's actual back doctor. So he had a relationship with him, but he had done a study and looked at individuals in the United States, uh, it was really the kids from ages 6 through 16, 
and they looked at six essential functions that you must be able to do, and if you fail those, you will have back pain during your lifetime. And they found that roughly 52, 53% of the kids at that time failed it. And when that test was done, it was back in 54, uh, Eisenhower was president, and because of his background, that completely freaked him out. He says that's not going to work, especially when they gave that same test to the kids in Europe, and only 9% failed in Europe. So they were still doing things a little bit more historically based than we had. We had already changed over, and we were seeing the consequences. So that's when we, we see the Presidential Fitness Council formed. It's actually formed under Eisenhower. And he had a group of people, and they didn't get along very well. You know, no one could come up with the right decision. I mean, Hans Krauss was there. There was a there was this incredible lady named uh, Bonnie Pruden who really knew what she was doing, and no one was listening to her. And, <laughs> and so it, it just kind of floundered until John F. Kennedy uh, became president, and when he saw what they were doing at La Sierra, and it was just as impressive then when you look at these, this footage of those kids, you know, as it is today. That's when he said, hey, there it is. We and, and strongly encouraged everyone to follow it. They got, within two years, 4,000 high schools to follow it over those next two years since from August 62 when he gave that speech to 64. And there were they would receive three major media visitors every week. And they had bleachers out there where people would come just watch these kids exercise. And it was, it was quite phenomenal. But what they were doing was was just classical fitness education. It was basic calisthenics that we have gone back and traced and can, can find their origin all the way back to ancient Greece. So we're talking about something that's had several thousand years of, of benefit to the human beings through the years. And the other component that they were doing was off-the-ground training, so your bars, a lot of different bars to get you off the ground that helps out with your posture, that uh, everything magical seems to happen when you're off the ground. So they basically did uh, a lap around the track, and they had to get it done in 90 seconds, which is a pretty healthy little lap. And then they would do 12-minute, what they call the strength and endurance routine, which was the foundation, this groundwork that involved not only strength training and, and make them limber, but it also did postural correction in the process with those exercises. And at that moment, their heart was exploding. They did this thing called the agility drill. So they spent about 12 to 15 minutes doing that. They then had about 25 minutes of doing some fitness or sports activity kind of thing. So it could have been wrestling. It could have been whatever they were up to or some training. And then the last five minutes of class was reserved for this out, outside obstacle course. It was, you know, the monkey bars, the, the pull-up bars, the pegboard, all that classical off-the-ground training. And that produced the bodies that you see in the film. Well, wow, that's incredible. It's, it seems to me that there was a kind of hubris at the time before this all began that maybe new was always perceived as better. And then with President Eisenhower, of course, he had pioneered the, the interstate systems, and that was something of strategic value for us. I think when you saw that, that our, our physical fitness of young people was deteriorating, that was definitely a, a, a limp factor, a limiting factor for future strategic you know, national security because we need to be able to, to groom and maintain a, a fighting force of a physically fit uh, citizenry. There's a couple of things that get me encouraged. One, it was effective. I mean, it really did make a big impact for those youth at that time. And I'm talking right now about during JFK's era. When, when JFK uh, was killed, PE, real PE, or its chance to go, appears to have been killed with it. There was lingering um, episodes that went all the way until the early 80s. But when you look at the quality or any efforts towards quality, you really need to have support at a lot of different levels. It can't just be the coach. It has to include just not only the administration and the president, but it has to also include the parents. And what happened was the parents who – in 1957 through early 62, when this was going on, those who were parents then had a lot of experience with World War II. 82% roughly of the parents there had firsthand experience in some way with the war. And so they were supportive of this kind of physical education and the need for kids to be fit because they saw that in, in a very real way, our security and our safety as a country depends entirely on our ability to respond and be ready 
when when the something like that happens. And so they were very supportive of it. But after the after Vietnam started to lag, and we're talking about 70s now, uh, it was a different set of parents, and, and they didn't have that background. And protesting against PE became a way to protest against the war. So you had a mm-hmm. lot of kids not dressing for PE. People, the, the parents were so ignorant as to why PE that they immediately did this knee-jerk reaction against it. And um, interestingly enough, when we went back and looked in 1920, a lot of the pressure was those who came back from World War One, or at least the people in America, they kind of pushed against this because they perceived this as originally coming from Europe, which was true. And they said, we don't like Europe. We don't like anything about Europe right now. And that scientific argument that was coming around was a very convenient moment. And it was just kind of like a one-two punch, and it ended it. And so what I want to do with this film is I, I want to really settle once and for all that physical education, real physical education, is separate from, although complementary to, our military. And just because a person's trying to be fit, there are other reasons why you should be fit in addition to just going to war. And I think that's an important thing to have, to, that everybody understands. But what I found interesting, this is what really sets this PE program apart, is they understood how to motivate kids they that we're calling the film the official title will be the motivation factor and it's actually the title of a journal article that Stan Prati wrote one of the only articles he ever wrote in that he had a developed a color system that represented the level you had achieved at that time and he grouped the kids based on their fitness level not necessarily in any other category that we sometimes come up with it was kind of similar to what we are doing today in the other areas of education, like in math. You don't group kids that are in rudimentary math with kids who are in algebra or kids in calculus, right? I mean, we, we have different levels based on what you're ready for. And so he grouped the kids in that way. And as a result, that's who you ended up competing with. And physical education was for everybody. So every single student there, and, and when he was there, it was, it was the boys. The girls had a different program. Coaches there wanted to do something different. But um, every single boy was able to participate, and that seems to be somewhat unique. They got the same level of attention as a varsity athlete would receive. And as a result, they were able to get 99% of the boys in that school to do at least 10 pull-ups. I don't know any high school that's been able to achieve something like that. Now, I, I'm going to cut in and, and yeah. specifically say that uh, the current standards that I'm currently measuring in, uh, 10 pull-ups is a uh, passing score at a certain stage in our program. And we don't even graduate 99.9% of the candidates. Well, it's 99, uh, 99, the, 99%, not 99.9, but 99%. Okay, okay, we'll take off the 0.9 yeah. for, for the boys, but <laughs> yeah. the, uh, the candidates that come and actually want to participate, um, I can say for, for a certainty that 99.9 do not graduate because they cannot do at least 10 pull-ups. Yeah, yeah, And yeah, this absolutely. is a, uh, you know, this is not high school, this, this is uh, adult military education. You know, there's training. there's something going on right now because – when we when we look back at how they used to maintain their body through that restorative arts, and, and by the way, we haven't really mentioned the person who really was behind this film. I'm I'm the director and the primary cinematographer. I'm producer of this film. I was approached by a gentleman named Ron Jones, who I've done this project with, and he, although a physical educator himself and a kinesiologist, a corporate well coach, and all that. He decided a decade or so ago to really that he was frustrated with with what he saw. And whenever we get to that point and you start looking for different mentors, um, he found a number of mentors who dragged them through the classics, people who are reading a classical physical education book each day. It would be surprising to many people to realize that there's one that many classical books, (laughs) physical education books, but there's probably more written on that topic than any other subject you're going to find. And um, when a person is all set, you know, you're, you're posturally in line, you are stronger. You're stronger initially, and, and we're fighting ourselves. You know, we have kids who can't do some of the things we saw kids do a long time ago. It's just because they're messed up. They're just really messed up. And we, we, we as parents, have failed, completely failed from our responsibility to show our kids how to maintain their body. 
that was a, that was one third of physical education historically. And Doug, this is Chase, yeah. I and mean, that's a, that's this sort of an aha moment for me is just to say, you know, absolutely. I mean, by the time you know I was going through physical fitness, and I'm sure the guys in the call can can verify this. You know, in the 80s and early 90s, I mean, we're talking dodgeball, and maybe yeah. we're walking around the track. And for a lot of us, it wasn't really till we hit the military where we had that that sort of shared suffering, mm-hmm. which built a community. And that's communities that you know through physical fitness is a big aspect of that. And I'm wondering. You know, as you were going through the film, did you see, you know, that you know, some of these schools that were really successful were that? Was it based upon they had a strong community to begin with, or did that the community sort of come well, out absolutely. of Absolutely. The community came because they did exercise together. Let me share, well, two things. First, they did that same postural test that they failed back in 1954, the KW test it became known as, as a 30-year anniversary, and over 80% of the kids taken it failed in, the, in 1984. So it got worse. And we are having a difficult time finding anybody that we're giving it to today, although we aren't doing the scientific approach that we've done those two times, who can do it. And, and so it's, it's pretty scary there. Um, but as it relates to the community aspect of what happens when you exercise together, the foundation for this program was mass calisthenics. You know, everything that they did, they did to a cadence count together in unison and it wasn't you're just exercising for your own abs now you're out there and you're trying to stay in perfect unison with the whole group and it gets you outside yourself right you haven't had experience like you did when you were you know preparing for combat it was all for one and one for all and what i found interesting is these people who participate in these team-based approach to, to fitness where you were part of a team and your goal was to get your whole team to progress from the level you're in to the next level. So they would go out on a running, doing a run test, and maybe a guy's strong and running, but we got another thing. When he's strong and running, when he's done, he turns around, ran back, and helped uh, get people in, you know, went back and, and kept running with them and encouraged them to come in. So it was they had this, this idea that to leave no man behind. And as a result, your heart rate's going crazy. You know, you're over 90%. When you're doing this mass calisthenics together, you're 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 yelling as loud as you can. Uh, you're doing it in tandem. You're having this stereo sound effect all around you. And what's going on inside your brain is it's releasing the neurotransmitters, and so you're getting serotonin, and dopamine, and everything else is going, and you're becoming mentally balanced. Mm, so you're having this incredible moment. This you know every sense that you've got is happening right there, and all the kids. I couldn't find anybody who says anything other than it was fun. They loved it. They liked it. In, <laughs> yeah. fact, in fact, this one coach, he told me, and he got trained at La Sierra. He went back and eventually got a Ph.D., did a Ph.D. thesis on this program and on the color system. He had a, a group who was kind of misbehaving during a rainy day, and he says, I'm going to show them. And he had them do calisthenics the whole entire period, nonstop. And that's pretty – I can't even fathom what it would be like to do that for 55 minutes because I'm done after 15. And I've been doing it for a year and a half without break, you know, really hitting it hard. And so he did the whole 55 minutes. As he's walking in, he's thinking to himself, oh, I showed them. And some kid comes up and pats him on the back and says, Coach, that was great. That was really fun. We should do that more often. And he was serious. <laughs> so – so what I found is as these kids are doing this together and helping each other achieve, and each color system represented a, a fitness level of a whole battery of things that they had to do successfully, and they would meet after school and, and during you know, any of their breaks and, and during summers to coach each other and help each other. And, um, and if you wanted to be, you know, if you wanted to, to hit the top level, this Navy Blue, you had to compete at the tippy top of that varsity sport for both for running, for swimming, for everything. And so you would recruit other people who were really good at that, and they would show you how to train and everything. So the kids were teaching each other in addition to what the coaches were doing. They had student-led groups. You know, you, you were trained to be a student leader, and they did all that. So they, they had the leadership in there. They had the whole community. Everybody was helping each other. And as a result, that school today, La Sierra High, the Longhorns, I've watched them, and if there's someone down and out, they don't have a job, it doesn't matter what year you are. You were a Longhorn, and other members of that school, alumni, will reach out and totally help that person out. 
someone has cancer, you, people are showing up mowing the lawn, kind of like you might get in a community, like a church or something like that. That exists for the entire school. And then I'm watching these individuals go on and be pretty impressive as far as their drive to, to make a meaningful difference in their community. And I love the idea that it's merit-based. Oh, yeah. So what we had, we have these different history professors in the film, and we came to the realization that this is how they taught civic government. This is how they taught citizens, citizenship. They taught it out on the field with everybody participating and doing it together. And this is not just the United States. And we did this, by the way, in the 1800s. And physical education represented one-third of our time then. But they did it in Greece, which at that time they were spending 50% of the education time on physical education. And today, and most people find this shocking, almost all schools Almost all schools uh, have PE just one day a week. Okay, so nationwide, Centers for Disease Control recommends that all students receive at least one hour of exercise every day. And there are, it's less than 2% of the schools in America actually comply with that. Less than 2% provide daily physical education. And the exercise they are receiving is really a joke for a number of reasons. First, the teachers don't, they don't really understand what happened in the past. So we've, we've lost our teachers. And even if we have a great teacher who's totally motivated and driven, we've got parents who don't understand why we need physical education. We have administrators over them who really don't understand. Now, I will say that it's surprising how much support I'm seeing with the National Education Association and California Teachers Association. I have board members in the film wanting this to happen every day again. But that whole in-between crowd, the people that really matter, you know, our teachers and our, and our parents, they need to know more. And, and so what, what I'm trying to do with the film, when, once we learned all this, is to explore the why behind physical education. Why do we need this? What are all the reasons it benefits us? And what we found is academically, you cannot achieve the, the amazing test scores and, and levels of performance that the 1800s produced in, in early American history. We could never, our kids today in college and in high school, according to Dr. Ben Carson, are failing the sixth grade exit exam. And if our kids can't even do that, and all of this actually relates to a lack of physical education because their brains aren't ready to learn. Uh, there's a really interesting uh, psychiatrist, actually, at Harvard Medical School. His name's Dr. John Rady. And he's really the foremost expert right now in our country recognized for exercise and the human brain. And he has he read about a thousand different studies as far as what the benefits are before he wrote this book called Spark in 2012. I interviewed him for about two and a half hours. And one thing that really stood out to me is when they've been going to inner city schools, like one in Charleston, South Carolina, and instituting just 30 minutes of PE at the start of the day, they saw an 87% drop in discipline from one semester to the next with only instituting 30 minutes of exercise in the, in the morning. And I remember as I was sitting there editing that uh, for my film, I'm, I'm looking at this footage, and my son ran up, and we had just got a puppy. And my son was watching these videos on how to train a puppy. And he ran up, and he says, Dad, turns out if you want to train your puppy, and he's 11, you've got to exercise your dog and really kind of tire him out because he's got so much bundled up energy, you can't teach him anything until he's been exercised, and then he's ready to learn. And I sat there and looked at that and went, Wow, we do it for our dogs, but we don't for our kids. <laughs> That's pretty powerful. One of my favorite quotes from Thomas Jefferson, whose birthday was only a few days ago, by the way, April 13th. Right. Um, Someone else is... had a birthday a few days ago, too. <laughs> yeah, he did. <laughs> so, um, yeah, the quote is, leaving all the afternoon for exercise and recreation, which are as necessary as reading. I will rather say more necessary because health is worth more than learning. I would take that to mean that, like Doug just said, it's a prerequisite. We need to create the conditions in our body and mind to be able to, to learn and, and grow from a uh, not just physical, but from all-encompassing, spiritual, mental, physical, altogether. You're absolutely right. And I, and Thomas Jefferson, he means a lot to me in this film, and I'm very familiar with that quote. I sent that quote by Thomas Jefferson to my kids' school, at least where my kids had been going. I had just pulled them out, and I was very frustrated. My daughter had had back pain, had to pull her out. My son, I was so frustrated with one day a week of P.E., and, and they knew I'm doing this documentary, and I'm sending them all these quotes, and it didn't seem to matter. 
And the response by the chairman of the school, he sent to me, um, who's over the board, his response was that Thomas Jefferson did spend from 3 o'clock to 5 o'clock each day exercising every day. That is what he did. He knew that. He read everything that Thomas Jefferson ever wrote. He was a big, avid exerciser. He says, however, the kids get out of school early enough that they could just do it at home. And I thought to myself, well, why don't we just have kids not read at school and just do that at home or math? I mean, why, why once a week? <laughs> I mean, really, the kids don't know what to do for physical education at home to restore their bodies. Their parents don't know. Their doctors don't know. Their physical therapists don't know. Their, any, anyone they go to the gym don't know. This is lost information, and we need to have this back. So um, it was a frustrating experience. My daughter, by the way, her back problem got better within one week of not the way they had that, and that's a whole other topic. But those flat desks that we have today, that entered in the early 1950s. They were starting to come in in the early 1940s. When that was starting to happen, there was a huge study, Harmon study. It started in 1941, went for 11 years. 160,000 participants in Texas, biggest study I've ever seen done, and they involved 14 major professional um, societies from the medical to the dental to the, the lighting. They looked at the classroom. They looked at every single thing involved in the classroom that could possibly be affecting the kids' health in some way. And they found that those flat desks caused all kinds of problems and that every desk should be slanted at 22 degrees. Hmm. So they came out with this fabulous study, and supposedly they were going to listen to science, right? And nothing. <laughs> so we've been flat desks ever since. And so I learned that we don't listen to science, and we don't listen to history. Those are the two things. And so the question is, who are we listening to? How did we get here? How'd this happen? Oh, wow. Hmm. Well, I, I'm, I just want to interject a little bit, take liberty, and say that we've just been listening, and we're kind of like floored from what you're saying, because you mentioned something about the, the short color in yes. uh, high school. Yes where you, you achieve a certain level of physical fitness and you get rewarded and you get a badge of honor. And when I was going through a special operations training uh, approximately nine years ago, that's exactly uh, the kind of system that we implemented. Uh, you get a certain score on your uh, PT. You, you get rewarded with a different shirt. You kind of wear it around base, and it becomes like a, a source of pride. We do that with special operations training. And you're, you're telling us right now that that used to be the status quo at this high school, uh, a high school with, you know, 14 to 17-year-old boys in California. Yeah, and, and, and it's translated from that to there, and you can speak more on that. But uh, the, the one thing I want to kind of uh, print you on is that you um, mentioned that the CDC recommends a certain block of time for physical education, yet the Constitution of the United States specifically is written prior to the articles of the Constitution that the federal government's responsibility is to promote the general welfare, not recommend, but actually enable the, uh, the the mechanisms to allow that to happen, to promote, not recommend. And if you can go into, like, and dial me back if you, if you need to, Chris, but, you know, the, the CDC sends recommendations, like, it's just like, hey, by the way, if this is possible, could you please? But it seems to me that as far as academic and physical welfare, that the, the you know, the role of the federal government is to promote the welfare of its of its citizens. Yeah. So, Dustin, you're absolutely right. I agree with you. I think that anybody, regardless of their party affiliation, left or right, can agree that if failing to take an action would cause greater harm to our society than taking the action, then we ought to take the action. And and it seems to me that I mean, there's a whole slew of reasons of, of why we should initiate a new type of JFK challenge, or at least uh, do more than simply promote or recommend the physical fitness. But paramount is, aside from national security, the public health concern that taxpayer money goes to fund healthcare of a variety of types, emergency room visits, et cetera, et cetera. And it's been proven that if people take care of their bodies, both from a nutritional standpoint and, and physical, that they're less likely to get sick, they're less likely to, to become injured. I think that's a very valid point. I have, a, I have in the film um, one of the Harvard Medical School professors who look at what the CDC recommends as far as minimum movement level for us. And it, it's very small. I mean, it's tiny. And 80% of our country are not doing the minimum. And then they, they goes on to explain how 80% of our healthcare costs are preventable, absolutely preventable based on how we eat, you know, our basic nutrition and how we exercise and sleep. Those three things, which the film gets into. And so 80% of our federal expenditure in healthcare, 
but that it has to spend money to because of its congressional mandate to spend on those areas. 80% of those are unnecessary. It's us. And by the way, I took that figure and looked at it based on our deficit and expenditures. We would have had a surplus last year here in America if we just all behaved and did what we're supposed to do. And that 80% help cost was gone. Just that one thing. Preventable. That's without anyone. There's no laws there. So it's just, it's up to us. And so there's, there's that cost. But there's a whole nother side to this that I think is even more troubling right now. And, and that is, I perceive, my read on our society is that I, I'm seeing a greater division happening within the country. And, and any time that something bad happens, you know, the wrong sports team wins or the wrong jury trial comes out or whatever, someone's shot and they, it shouldn't have been. I mean, it, whatever, good, right or wrong, you know, these people coming out of the woodwork and just going and burning buildings and all these riots and you're sitting there going, <laughs> What is going on? And then, and then I started looking at that question a little bit further and realized that we have the highest prison incarceration rates. We incarcerate 25% of all prisoners in the world are in prison right here and with only 4% of the population of the world. And so that's, that's a problem. You look at Finland, which has the highest education in the world, and they have the lowest prison incarceration rate, and they require 20 minutes of exercise every hour on the hour. They're only in class for one hour, and then they have to leave, go outside, no matter what the weather's doing, for 20 minutes, rigorous exercise, then come back in, and they go back and hit the books again. I could say that I, I cannot count on my fingers and toes how many sports documentaries that I've watched and listened to that, you know, a, a struggling youth would say football or basketball or any kind of physical sport saved my life. Absolutely. Now, here is our challenge in America today, okay? We have 5% of our students participating in those sports. So you're one of the 95% who, for some reason, you're not good enough to be one of the five people out there playing basketball in varsity, right? You, you, get, you get to just sit in the stands. And so what do you have? Well, most administrators think that you don't need any physical education at all, right? So you don't have anything to achieve. You have no way you're going to learn these things. So if you happen to be gifted physically so that you were in football, you're in basketball, you're in something like that, and you were able to learn those life lessons that are so critical that help you throughout the rest of your life to know how to overcome challenges when life throws it at you. And it will throw it at you. Everybody gets it. But you know how to respond. You don't respond by going back and just shooting everybody because you're mad. We are missing that. And and what these these PE programs did historically is they included every single person. And and, and I'm thinking, so, so now we look at the prison incarceration rate and we look at the kids who are on track to be a statistic. And we say, well, how can we reach these kids? Well, they're not – we have today two-thirds of the students graduating who do graduate, who don't drop out. Two-thirds of them do not read at the proficiency level. That's after spending 13 years in school. And you can't learn how to read? What are we doing? <laughs> so, so why are we failing so badly? And it's because academically our brains aren't ready to learn. They're incapable of learning. We're not mentally balanced. And as a result, we're also not productive. We have that same problem in our workforce today. Most people entering the workforce don't know what to do to be productive, to maintain that for themselves. And so they go in, and it's just like school. They go in, they sit in a cubicle, they sit for eight hours straight. Well, that that doesn't work, that you can't be productive. So our productivity in America is flatlined now, and that, that dries up our standard of living. We have health care costs going through the roof, and that's as our, our baby boomers are hitting just that ripe age where all the real health care expenditures are going to start happening. Um, we got issues. We have obesity and it's not just us. It's a worldwide epidemic now. China is number two in the world in obesity today. And, and most people are shocked, but they always think Chinese are – they've, they've, they've subscribed to this whole thing, and we're following the wrong people. So, so we don't really need to look at what our other countries are doing. We don't need to just try to figure this stuff out. There is an awful lot to learn from looking in the past. History does provide some relevance. And in this particular case, it would benefit us tremendously. Now, to bridge the gap between what you're saying into a, a veteran military uh, perspective, you know, uh, myself and Chris, we did our homework, for lack of a better word. But, you know, not only uh, uh, physically, but academically, people are failing. And pulling up simple statistics provided from the, the Department of Defense, the Army says about 28% of people who apply are rejected because they are overweight or have behavioral problems, which is kind of like a physical 
uh, mental aspect, but also to say some are rejected because they are unable to meet the military's academics requirements. Right. right here, I got it. It says one quarter of all the high school graduates who take the Army's math and reading test fail it. Yep. 25% fail not physically, but academically. And we went back to World War II because less than 1% of the population serves in the military in any capacity today. But during World War II, which the military, by doctrine, the military must maintain a level of proficiency to wage a true front war, much like World War II. You know, you got you had the uh, European theater and the Pacific theater. And during World War II, over 14% of the entire American population served in the military in some form of capacity. And where we have students graduating high school where we're slowly approaching to where we won't even be able to count on 14% of the American population. Oh, no way. No way. Not even close. Mm -hmm. Not even close right now. Um, Those numbers that I've I've talked to, uh, we had the Marines part of our uh, uh, a little thing that we did on Fox News one one morning about this documentary back in June, and the head of PR for the Marines told me the numbers. The, the numbers he told me were really small as far as those as far as the general population able to pass. If we don't have the entire country, if if only twenty percent are doing the most minimum of movement according to the CDC, and that's like an hour and a half a week of some extra. I think it's an hour twenty minutes. It's just nothing, and and then basic twenty minutes of basic strength something. Um, of any kind, uh, twice a week. I mean, it's very small. If if we have 80% of our country not doing that at all, there's no way. And and then posturally, we have all these new problems that they didn't used to have. They were fit, but they also understood how to keep themselves posturally aligned. And we've lost that. And at the same time, we are expecting more of soldiers today. We're putting more weight on their back. You know, they're doing physically what they've got to do is is tougher on a frame that's posturally deviated. So... You know, we're setting people up to to fail. I remember um, reading a book, um, All's Quiet on the Western Front. Remember that? Anyone read that before? Absolutely. Yeah. World War I. I, read, I heard of a movie starring John Wayne about that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, you're right. more educated than I am, all right? So, hey, we got to we gotta liven it up. We got right. to so, get last. So the book's, entertaining. The, so book's written, the, the book's written by a German soldier, World War One, and he's talking about his experience of what it was like from that side. It's an interesting situation, but he observed that nine out of the 10 people who died um, were the new recruits, and it was because they weren't adequately trained and physically prepared for what they had to do. They just made silly mistakes, and what happened is Germany, in an effort to quickly get people out there, shortened their training, thinking that was going to be good, and it was just like a a leaky, I mean, that was their downfall. Um, So it's an interesting thing when people say, how important is training, and how important are these things? Well, they appear to be – they were pretty important in that war. I, I could have sworn that I – now, this is go, this goes back to, like, uh, training that, uh, you know, we've done as far as medical goes. But it says something like, if you were in the Vietnam War and you made it to a certain point past your tour, you had such a higher percentage of surviving the war because yeah. of your experience. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. When we look at what do we need to do as citizens, okay, we are a democracy, and ultimately – Government. In fact, let me just back up and just say a couple of things that are, I think are really critical to understand. One, what is government? Government to me, you can throw away any history book, any government book, anything you think. Government, just think about this situation. Tomorrow morning, for whatever reason you want to make up, we're not going to have the government. It, it, it doesn't exist tomorrow morning, and you know about that right now. What are you going to do right now to prepare for tomorrow morning? Because, you know, there is no calling 911 and all that stuff, right? No one else is going to be able to help you. Well, you're going to immediately start thinking, I mean, how am I going to defend myself and then probably my family? And immediately you're going to realize you can't do it by yourself. You are going to have to band together with some other people who have ideally a particular set of skills to help one another, and you're going to have to promise each other, pledge to each other that you've got their back and you, and they've got yours. And, and, probably and that, a competition. Yeah, that's government. <laughs> that's government. And, and, and why? Because tonight, for some reason, I don't know why this always happens, but there's another group of people who are getting together to come plan to take your stuff. And that's just reality. So whether how we think about it, that's government. And in that situation, you don't get to just sit on your rear end and do nothing and, and get out of shape and, and not participate. You've got responsibilities. And, and you've got to be willing 
It's all for one and one for all. And what has to come back to America right now is this attitude that I've got that person's back who I see walking on the street, and he's got mine. And, and honestly, right now, as a dad and as a guy who's just looking at our country, where's our weak spot? Our weak spot are all the kids who are coming from just completely destroyed homes and neighborhoods who really the, – the information and what they're being fed is so – they don't have a fair shot at it. They all, the prison is, is their track in life. And, and we've got to reach them. And physical education will do that. It has always done that historically. It's how they built the nations, how they built everything up. And if you don't think I'm, if you think I'm making this up or just based on theory, I have found a school who is still doing this today, right now. And I haven't shared this with anybody. I haven't told anybody. I can't even tell what school, but it's in California. And it's in an, it's in an area that has, I mean, the kids I filmed were, some were in country club and some were homeless. Every ethnicity under the sun was there, and they were totally united. I couldn't believe what I saw. The, the, I remember this one Hispanic gal saying how, how she used to get bullied in elementary school, but not at this junior high school. There was a junior high school that was doing this program, and how um, everybody's united, their, their family there, and how when she was a seventh grader, the eighth graders helped her, encouraged her when she thought she couldn't do stuff. And then now she's an eighth grader, and she's reaching out and helping helping the others and, and raise them up. And everybody's there. Everyone's motivated because there's something to try to do to improve themselves. Could you imagine going to math class today? And it was just math. But there wasn't any standard. It wasn't even a work. You weren't working towards algebra or geometry or trigonometry or calculus or anything. You just it was just math. I mean, that's what PE is today, right? Um, what a joke. I've, I've seen it happen. I've already seen these kids successfully. I've seen it work. It's working right now, and so all this theory that it could never happen today, that's all going to end when people watch the film. It's 20 straight minutes right out of the school. I've interviewed over 65 people at that school real time, ranging for the person who started it, who's over 80 years old, to all the current uh, coaches, most of which are female, running this thing. They're amazing, and it's co-ed. And it's every ethnicity, and they're all wearing their colors and different colors of where they're at, and they're all motivated. And then I asked them what they wanted to do. And i got to tell you, it's good. <laughs> I almost get emotional when I, when I say this because this part of the film, I, I, it really affects me. Every single one of those kids wanted to be something. That, that gal, I don't want to give any clues who was the homeless people and who weren't, but she wanted to be a marine biologist. And, this other, and all the other ones wanted to be doctors and attorneys. They all, they all knew exactly what they wanted to be. None of them. Movie to find out. Yeah, well, but the main point is none of them, none of them had given up on life. Every one of them was taking it on, and they said they all contributed. They all point to PE that they 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 didn't believe in themselves like they did. But once they realized that they could do the pegboard, or once they realized that they could do the cable outside, climb up on that, or they could climb the pole, that they could you know the ropes, or they could do. You know, these girls were doing these girls were doing ten pull-ups. Do you know that the record for the pull-ups at that school is thirty-two for the boys? This is a junior high school, and the girls, it's thirty-three. They've got a girl who did thirty-three pull-ups at this junior high school. D Doug, this is Chase. That's that's actually um, you know kind of ties in with with some of the changes that are going on in the special operations community and, and actually in the military in itself of like integrating women in some of the combat roles. You know, there's a lot of pushback from guys saying, well. You know the standards are going to change and, and and things like that. Which there's some you know obviously some apples things here, but you're talking about you know a history 50 years ago where there really wasn't a gender bias when it came to the standard on the field, right? It was well, everybody that, performed. That's that's right now. That's right now at this at this particular school. Now there was a gender bias back um, in the early 60s and all the way up right. until you know whatever. And what happened was it was believed that the girls would. Jump Tumble up their organs if they went out and exercised rigorously. That came out back in like early 1931 by junk, what I'll call junk science. Some doctor getting outside his field, making these opinions, and everyone deciding to listen to it. No one seemed to pay attention to that when they brought it back. <laughs> right. It was political oh, purpose. No. Oh, yeah. Um, and, and you know what? We we could, and a lot of people come. They say, "Well, I'm watching this. This is all the boys exercising together. Do you think this should be all boys or all the girls?" And I, I, all I'm going to say is, I've seen it work very well in both situations. I'm not pushing anything other than 
We want to show why we need to do this again, why we need to individually move our bodies rigorously because it makes us mentally balanced, it helps our productivity, and it helps us um, become very smart. We need those three things. In addition to the health, obvious things with our waistline and in every part of our body benefits. And for those who don't understand or even believe about the brain, I always ask them this question. Most people understand you need to have a healthy body to have a healthy heart. That if your body's just, you know, flabbering, you're just being eating horrible, you don't move at all, your heart's in bad shape. For some reason, they think that the brain gets a free pass. <laughs> it's an optimal <laughs> level yeah. in that condition. Like no other part of the body can. In fact, the brain responds first to every stimuli you give it. Now, just think about this for a minute. If you want to really cloud up your brain, go have a dozen donuts right now, right? And go drink a lot and do all these different things, and you're going to have a fog immediately. Within, within 10, 20 minutes from now, you can be in a fog. What can you really do to yourself that in 10 or 20 minutes from now, your heart is really just suffering? And so your brain also could respond in a positive way within 10 or 20 minutes of something. So you go walk out, exercise, you're just feeling lethargic, and suddenly you're a new person. You're ready to focus, ready to pay attention. So Yeah, you're absolutely right. I have a, I have a great um, piece of evidence to support that. Um, when I went through selection and assessment uh, to go soften the Air Force, we initially did a uh, IQ test under, under normal conditions in a classroom uh, with relatively little pressure. Uh, it was first thing in the morning upon arrival to the, uh, the selection assessment uh, center, the area we did our training. Then I think it was three days later, after we've been deprived of sleep for about 72 hours and we've been just completely smoked, they pull us back into the classroom under an intense amount of pressure while we're physically tired. We do the test again and everybody scored at least 10% higher uh, because our heart rate was up, our, our, our whole body was active and we were engaged. And, and that was in a very short amount That's of time. That's incredible. Just think about yeah. that, right? I mean, it's... It's pretty frustrating, but you go look back in the 1800s of some real amazing people. I'm thinking of people like John Muir, right? John Muir, age 11. Theodore Roosevelt. Theodore Roosevelt, right. All these guys, they were physical. I mean, they could do incredible things. Their marches that they used to do were amazing. Everything that they did was physically incredible, but they, they had the brains that went with it as a result. So for our brains, for our dollars and cents on what we're spending as a country in healthcare, for um, our prison incarceration nightmare, and also, but I think most importantly, just for our absolute citizenry, to have people care about each other, to have people discuss with civil discord with each other, to have everybody be all for one and one for all. That is taught on the field moving together in physical education. That's not taught in algebra or in reading. It's not even taught in government class. Government class teaches here's how our government operates, but it does not teach you how to be a citizen. That drive, that where it comes from, when, when Germany was sacked by Napoleon early 1800s, a guy named Juan was looking at how do we bring it back because they were just done. How do we bring nationalism back? And nationalism is getting being used as some pejorative negative term. The way I'm using that is this idea that we're united. Even Hillary Clinton just at the debate talked about how we have the multicultural and we everyone's, you know, we have all these different areas in which we all come from, but we still need to be united. Everybody, it doesn't matter the political party. Every party is saying that we need to be united. They see the need to become united. So what Juan did is he brought back, he did a renaissance effort and looked how the Greece do it, how did Rome do it. And he brought back medical gymnastics. He brought back calisthenics. He got the people moving together, and then he inculcated or put infused in that ideology with symbols, flags, song, and you know, and all that stuff. We see the embers of that today in our own society. When we go to a sporting event, we'll hear you know our national anthem. We'll see the flag, but we don't see that in most other places. It used to be part of every event, but the difference was people weren't in the stands; they were on the field. Everybody was on the field together, and, and that's how they did it. And it got everyone united, and they did it through clubs. They did it through school, um, and, and that's how they developed what became an amazing German nationalism of the early 1900s and throughout the 1900s. And then uh, Czechoslovakia and Sweden and all these different places followed suit, followed the model. Um, a couple of those guys eventually ended up in Iowa and um, migrated to the United States, and that's where it started here. And it, uh, in between 1885 to 1915, 1920, 
America was the fittest country, the smartest country. We were it. We were it. It drove every major achievement we had, and it made us one safe country as a result. And John F. Kennedy, when he wrote this article in Sports Illustrated, cited all cited Greece and how all the great achievements in government and in art and academics and everything they did was because of their religious, almost religious devotion to physical education. So he got it. He understood. We need we need everybody to get that again and understand. And Doug, and I'm curious, you know, as you've gone through the film process and, you know, even with your own you know, personal life with your kids and, yeah. and you know, recognizing the physical you know, aspects of this. Do you really think that kind of for you know, change to happen, especially with all the science behind this, do we need a champion? Do we need a president to come back and say, hey, we got to do this? Like JFK? Well, I, I or, think, or is there a community? Um, well, first off, you know, it, it's everyone's guess as far as what we need, okay? Here's what I, I can tell you what history totally, did. Totally. There was the United yep, the United States of America was in a really bad pickle in the late fifties with the physical education physical level, early sixties of the of the people. And it took one person, one person who was trained by an amazing guy, and we'll we'll explain that in the film, but he one guy as a coach at a high school, supported by his principal and his superintendent, and supported by the parents to develop a program that influenced 4,000 schools and who knows how many kids, and that would end up being worldwide. JFK blew some serious wind in the sails to make that happen. Um, and so I think all those ingredients really need to be there. But ultimately, we can do a lot individually. If we just take this personal responsibility for ourselves, start with us and get our family involved, and then go into the whatever sphere of influence we have to go about it. For me, I'm a filmmaker and so I thought, you know, a documentary film could really turn the tide. Everybody could see why. And I want to have a, essentially a flag that they could wave to explain why we need to move. This is why we must wow. do it. And as far as what we need as a president, let me tell you, we need a real leader. We need somebody who believes in people and people rising to an occasion, understands that. We need, we need someone who understands what's going on. We keep getting people who are good at getting into, into power, but they don't seem to know what they're doing as far as and, – and, and so they make these decisions that are really bad, and they affect a lot of people. And so as individuals, we need to fight us. Now, we, we started talking about Thomas Jefferson. And let me, let me kind of wrap up with something Jefferson said that I think is really relevant. When – after writing the Declaration of Independence and after Revolutionary War, and we were becoming a democracy, he had explained how – Traditionally, classical education was reserved for the aristocracy, those who had the responsibility of power and the time of, for leisure. And leisure then meant the time to pursue educational matters outside of your vocation. Now, why did they do that? So that they were balanced and they could make good judgment calls when they ruled. They needed to understand a lot of everything. So they, they needed to be generalists at a really deep level. He had a little bit of a concern with everyone becoming specialists. But he said, now... We're becoming a democracy. Everybody needs that kind of an education, you know, the kind that aristocracy gets, because every one of us are now ruling, you know, as we vote. He says, if we don't, and this is a direct quote, we are vulnerable to being, the people are, being, are vulnerable to becoming bamboozled by the loudest propaganda. Now, tell me if that hasn't happened. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, seriously. And then, and, and then the other, and as you also yeah. said, education is a is a prime requirement for our democracy to to survive. Um, what caught my attention to this project wasn't anybody coming forward with me or anything like that. I just randomly found it. High school students that just they looked incredibly physically fit and well disciplined. And you know, what is this all about? And the, the further I dug into it, the more I was interested and I contributed. I won't say how much, but I, I was very passionate about this. I wanted to share it on social media, spread it around friends. Luckily, I have a guy like Chris who's you know ahead of a, a wonderful organization. I'm plugging it, uh, Veterans for Liberty. And it's good to marry uh, the two groups together. But everything that I've heard during this podcast is like just even more uh, interesting and yeah. provocative than what I heard. Like, and I, I've been a boyer to some really, really, really great talk about the uh, status of the nation and the physical and mental health of the citizenry. And it's been a, it's been a pleasure. So I'll, I'll leave it to Chris. Thank you, Doug.
Hey, thank you guys. I get I get a lot of people who ask about the what was the workout that they did, and so we do have the written out instructions for that the strength and endurance routine at the white level. I would say that if a person does nothing other than do that crazy simple SU routine at the beginning of whatever they do, or if they don't do anything, do that. Okay, so we are challenging listeners to, to do the workout, and we're gonna post that white level workout on the same we'll webpage that, that we're hosting this uh, audio. It'll be like the ice bucket challenge yep. raised to Done. be exponential. It's great. We can have them nominate people. Yeah. yeah. And take it pretty easy the first couple of times, too, for your Achilles heel, because they have you hopping a lot. <laughs> so we're going to fix our bodies, and we're going to fix our nation. Yeah. With and, and you watch, watch, pay attention. If you're not moving that much right now, pay attention to how differently you think over the next three weeks from the moment you start. I have become like this, this Teflon. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm laughing. I'm sorry. Teflon to life's challenges um, as I exercise. And I know that all those who hit it hard, you, you experience that anyway. But I'm thinking, look at our drug dependency in our country right now on everything. And we're, all we're trying to do is replicate what our brains do for us naturally when we exercise. You, you mentioned before that, that dopamine, the science proves that, you know, a good workout increases feel-good hormones rushing to the brain. I mean, uh, it's been proven aerobic exercise, they, they call it a runner's high. Okay, so can I talk to your veterans just for a moment? The guys who've come home, like, like recently, and, and life's kind of tough, here's what happens to your body when you exercise vigorously, as your heart starts to ex- starts to pump really fast, the muscles surrounding your heart communicate and tell your brain what to do. This was this was huge in neuroscience when they started realizing that it's not just the brain telling the body, but the body's muscles actually tell the brain. The brain is just a muscle. So what happens is the heart starts pumping really fast. Uh, the muscles are explaining to the heart to the brain. Hey, we're getting pretty fast in here. Don't go to flight or fight mode. And so it puts up these blockers, the brain does. Now, these blockers are essentially stress blockers to block the stress that your body's under from the exercise. But there does not seem to be any differentiating factor between what that does for you and the stress that you feel because of your job, your life, the exercise. Because you did that, you have these stress blockers, which makes you immune to catastrophic physical impact for your health that happens you have these stress blockers so you do that every day and you you just became according to dr rady immune from all that stuff it's pretty fascinating pretty motivational yeah, it's, it's amazing how it can build resiliency in in other areas too not just physical it's like taking a little bit of ritalin and a little bit of prozac every time you exercise so we don't need to go to the drugs and in britain they don't prescribe for depression. The first three weeks, they prescribe exercise because so, that's what science has shown. Um, and I'm not saying that, that you shouldn't if you're you know, severely depressed or anything else. That, that, <laughs> no medical advice here. But this is what, from what I got from him, there is tremendous benefit from moving. We were designed to do it. And there are severe consequences that we are facing right now as a society because we stopped. The only solution is to do what the human body has always done through time, and that is to move. Mm, wonderful. Wow, that's really I, powerful I can't, stuff. Yeah, uh, I can't add anything to that. I think that's an excellent closing all right. statement. Wow. All right, gentlemen, thank you very much for what you're doing. I mean, I'm so excited for what you're up to. So that's a great way to wrap yeah. it up. Can you share with the audience when and where will they be able to find your movie? I've, I've finished filming everything except for one, one final scene. I am going to Finland and, and filming that next month. But otherwise, everything's filmed. I'm in editing. It's, it's an hour and 35-minute film. We're just trying to figure out how to get enough funds to finish up the music aspect to get the licenses all done. But once we're there, it should be ready. So at that moment, I want to share it with some key groups. And if anybody has a key group, I'm, I'd like them to reach out to you and you reach out to us. For example, I'm showing it to the National Education Association, California Teachers Association. I want to show it to specific groups before it goes to the general population. I want everybody on board and understand what it is we're really trying to do. And then I, wanted, I would like to get it to theaters. If we fail and have no path to theaters after doing that and getting support from everybody, you know, then I want it to be available for one and all in some way, you know, Netflix or you know, something. That's where we're at with it. And it's been a, it's been a three-and-a-half-year project. It's been a very fun project. And do you have a full title? Yeah, it's called The Motivation Factor, Becoming Smart, Productive, and Mentally Stable. Awesome. And if people want to contribute to help you raise the funds that you need to finalize the sound, where can they go to donate? They should go to 
Indiegogo, and you can find the links and everything to that if you just go to the website, LaSierraHighPE.com. And if you type in MotivationMovie.com, I think it forwards right over to that right now. And if you just don't want to remember any of that, type in hashtag JFK Challenge in Google and just follow whatever it all it'll all end up it'll end up in the right spot. Hashtag JFK Challenge. Thanks, Doug. Thanks, Dustin. Thank you, Chase, for all being on the program. This is a very exciting uh, new opportunity for us, and, and I really hope to see it become a great success. I feel like I need to go work out <laughs> like right now. <laughs> The Profiles of Liberty podcast is a production of VeteransForLiberty.org. Please be sure to like us on Facebook and share our webpage with your friends. And while you're there, check out our store for some fun new t-shirts and other products that help fund our operation. Thanks for listening.